0: SECTION 7 OF THE MURDER OF DELICIA This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Angelique Campbell. April, 2019. THE MURDER OF DELICIA by Marie Corelli. CHAPTER Five. Next morning, Delicia rose at about six o'clock and went out riding in the road long before the fashionable world was astir attended by her groom and spartan who took long racing gambols on the grass beyond the railings of the ladies mile she cantered under the deep dewy shade of the trees and thought out her position in regard to her husband in spite of inward grief and perplexity she had slept well for to a clear conscience and pure heart combined with a healthy state of body sleep is never denied mother nature specially protects her straightforward and cleanly children she keeps their faces young their eyes bright their spirits elastic their tempers equable and for the soothing of Delicia's trouble this morning the sunbeams danced about her in a golden waltz of pleasure the leaves rustled in the wind the flowers exhaled their purest fragrance and the birds sang riding easily on her beautiful mare Brilita who was almost as much a personal friend of hers as spartan himself and whom she had purchased out of the royalties accumulating on one of her earlier works she found herself more than usually receptive of the exquisite impressions of natural loveliness she was aware of everything from the white clouds that were heaped in snowy mountainous ranges along the farthest visible edge of the blue sky to the open-hearted daisies in the grass that stared up at the lately risen sun with all the frankness of old friendship and familiarity the fresh morning air and the exhilarating exercise sent a lovely colour to her cheeks and as her graceful form swayed lightly to the half-coquettish gay cantering of phyllida who was also conscious that it was a very agreeable morning She felt as if the information she had so unexpectedly and reluctantly received in the jeweler's shop in Bond Street on the previous day was a bad dream and nothing more. After about an hour's riding she returned home at a quick trot, and on entering the house heard that her lord and master had not yet risen. She changed her riding habit for one of her simple white morning gowns, and went into her study to open and read her numerous letters, and mark them in order for her secretary to answer. She was still engaged in this occupation when Lord Carleon came down slowly, sleepily, and in no very good humor. "'Oh, there you are at last, Will,' she said, looking up at him brightly. "'You came home late last night, I suppose, and are tired.' He stood still for a moment wondering within himself why she did not give him her usual good-morning kiss. It was not so very late, he said crossly. It was only half-past twelve. You've often stayed awake waiting for me later than that. But last night, when I knocked at your door, you never answered me. You must have been dead asleep. This, in a tone of injury. Delicia read calmly through the letter she held in her hand, then set it aside. Yes. I must have been, she replied frankly. You see, I work pretty hard, and nature is good enough to give me rest when I need it. You work hard too, Will, but in quite another way. You toil after amusement. Now, that's the hardest form of labor I know. Treadmills are nothing to it. No wonder you're tired. Breakfast's ready. Let's go and have it i've been out riding for an hour this morning and i feel desperately hungry come along she led the way downstairs he followed slowly and with a vague feeling of uneasiness he missed something in his wife's manner an indefinable something which he could not express something that had always characterized her but which now had uncomfortably disappeared it was as if a wide river had suddenly rolled in between them forcing her to stand on one side of the flood and he on the other he studied her observantly from under his fine eyelash growth as she made the tea and with a few quick touches here and there altered the decorous formality of the breakfast-table into the similitude of an arcadian feast of beauty by the mere artistic placing of a vase of flowers or a dish of fruit and this done handed him the morning's newspaper with smiling and courteous punctilio spartan seems to be turning crusty he remarked as he unfolded the journal last night when i knocked at your door he showed his teeth and growled at me i didn't know he had such an uncertain temper delicia looked down at her canine friend with a pretty air of remonstrance oh spartan what is this i hear she said whereat spartan hung his head and tucked his tail well under his haunches don't you know your master when he comes home late did you take him for a regular rake spartan did you think he had been in bad company Five, for shame you ought to know better naughty boy spartan looked abashed but not so abashed as did lord Carleon. he fidgeted on his chair got red in the face and made a great noise in folding and unfolding the newspaper and presently finding his own thoughts too much for him he began to get angry with nobody in particular and as is the fashion with egotistical men turned a sudden unprovoked battery of assault on the woman he was hourly and daily wronging i heard something last night that displeased me very much Talisha, he said affecting a high moral tone it concerns you and i should like to speak to you about it yes said delicia with the very slightest lifting of her delicate eyebrows yes and lord carleon hummed and hauled for a couple of dubious seconds you see you are a woman and you ought to be very careful what you write a man told me that in your last book there were some very strong passages really strong you know what i mean and he said that it was very questionable whether any woman with a proper sense of delicacy ought to write in such a manner delicia looked at him steadily who is he my book has probably touched him on a sore place carlion did not answer immediately he was troubled with an awkward cough well he said at last it was fitzhugh you know him an awfully good fellow has sisters and all that says he wouldn't let his sisters read your book for the world and it was deuced disagreeable to me to hear i can tell you you have read my book said delicia slowly and did you discover anything of the nature complained of by captain fitzhugh Again, Lord Carleon coughed uncomfortably. "'Well, upon my word, I don't exactly remember now, but I can't say I did.' Delicia still kept her eyes fixed upon him. "'Then, of course, you defended me.' Carleon flushed and began to butter a piece of toast in nervous haste. "'Why, there was no need for defense,' he stammered. "'The whole thing is, in a nutshell.' an author's an author man or woman and there's an end of it of course you're alone responsible for the book and as i said if he don't like it he needn't read it and no one asked him to give it to his sisters you prevaricate interrupted delicia steadily but perhaps it is as well you did not think it necessary to defend me to such a man as captain fitzhugh who for years has been the notorious lover of lady Rapley, to the disgrace of her husband who permits the scandal and for captain fitzhugh's sisters who are the chief purveyors of slander in the wretched little provincial town where they live each one of them trying her best to catch the curate or the squire i shall very willingly write a book some day that deals solely with the petty lives lived by such women women more unclean in mind than a swift and lower in the grade of intellect than an aspiring tadpole who at any rate has the laudable ambition and intention of becoming an actual frog some day carlion stared vaguely startled and chilled by her cold calm accents by jove you are cutting you know delicia he expostulated poor fitzhugh he can't help himself falling in love with lady rapley can't help himself echoed delicia with supreme scorn can he not help disgracing her is it not possible to love greatly and nobly and die with the secret kept is there no dignity left in manhood or in womanhood do you think for instance that i would permit myself to love any other man but you his handsome face flushed and his eyes kindled he smiled a self-satisfied smile upon my life that's splendid the way you say that he exclaimed but all women are not like you i know they are not she replied captain fitzhugh's sisters for example are certainly not at all like me they do well to avoid my book They would find female cant and hypocrisy too openly exposed there to please them. But with regard to your complaint, for I regard it to be a complaint from you, you may challenge the whole world of slander mongers, if you like, to point to one offensive expression in my writings. They will never find it. He rose and put his arm round her. At his touch, she shuddered with a new and singular aversion. He thought the tremor one of delight and so you will never permit yourself to love any other man but me he asked caressingly touching the rich masses of her hair with his lips never she replied firmly looking straight into his eyes but do not misunderstand my meaning it is very possible that i might cease to love you altogether yes it certainly might happen at any moment but i should never because of this love another man i could not so degrade myself as to parcel my affections out in various quarters after the fashion of lady rapley who has descended voluntarily as one of our latter-day novelists observes to the manners and customs of the poultry yard if i ceased to love you then love itself for me would cease it could never revive for any one else it would be dead dust and ashes i have no faith in women who love more than once Carlyon still toyed with her hair the undefinable something he missed in her fretted and perplexed him are you aware that you look at me very strangely this morning delicia he said at last almost as if i were not the same man this is the first time i have ever heard you speak of the possibility of your ceasing to love me she moved restlessly in his embrace and presently gently putting him aside rose from the breakfast-table and pretended to busy herself with the arrangement of some flowers on the mantelpiece i've been reading philosophy she answered him with a tremulous little laugh grim old cynics both ancient and modern who say that nothing lasts on earth and that the human soul is made of such imperishable stuff that it is always outreaching one emotion after another and striving to attain the highest perfection if this be true then even human love is poor and trifling compared to love divine." Her eyes darkened with intensity of feeling. At least, so say some of our sage instructors, and if it be indeed a fact that mortal beings are but the passing shadow of immortal ones, it is natural enough that we should gradually outlive the temporal in our desire for the eternal. Carleon looked at her wonderingly. She met his gaze fully her eyes shining with a pure light that almost dazzled him i can't follow all your transcendental theories he said half pettishly i never could i have always told you that you can't get reasoning men to care about any other life than this one they don't see it they don't want it heaven doesn't suggest itself to them at all as a jolly sort of place and you know if you come to think of it You'd rather not have an angel to love you. You'd much rather have a woman. Speak for yourself, my dear Will, answered Alicia with a slight smile. If angels, such as I imagine them to be, exist at all, I should much prefer to be loved by one of them than by a man. The angel's love might last. The man's would not. We see these things from different points of view, and as for this life— i assure you i am not at all charmed with it good heavens you've got everything you want exclaimed carleon even fame which so rarely attends a woman yes and i know the value of it she responded fame literally translated means slander do you think i am not able to estimate it at its true worth Do you think I am ignorant of the fact that I am followed by the lies and envies and hatreds of the unsuccessful, or that I shut my eyes to the knowledge of the enmity that everywhere pursues me? If I were old, if I were poor, if I were ugly, and had scarcely a gown to my back, and still wrote books, I should be much more liked than I am. I dare say some rich people might even be found willing to patronize me she laughed disdainfully but when these same rich people discovered that i can afford to patronize them who is there that can rightly estimate the measure or the violence of their antipathy for me yet when i say i am not charmed with life i only mean the social life i do not mean the life of nature of that i am never tired well this morning at any rate you appear to be tired of me said carleon irritably so i suppose i'd better get out of your way she made no answer whatever he fidgeted about a little then began to grumble again i'm sorry you're in such a bad humor at this she raised her eyebrows in smiling protest yes you know you're in a bad humor he went on obstinately you pretend you're not but you are and i wanted to ask you a question on your own business affairs pray ask it said Alicia, still smiling though before you speak let me assure you my business affairs are in perfect order oh i don't know he went on uneasily these damned publishers often wriggle out of bargains and try to do a woman that firm now the one that has just published your last book have they paid you they have she answered with composure they are though publishers still honourable men it was to be around eight thousand wasn't it he asked looking down at the lapels of his well-fitting morning coat and flicking a speck of dust off the cloth it was and it is she answered i paid four thousand of it into your bank yesterday his eyes flashed By jove what a clever little woman you are he exclaimed fancy getting all that cash out of your brain-pan it's quite a mystery to me how you do it you know i can never make it out there's no accounting for the public taste said alicia watching him with a pained consciousness of a sudden contempt but you need not puzzle yourself over the matter oh i never bother my head over literature at all laughed carleon becoming quite hilarious now that he knew an extra four thousand pounds had been piled into his private banking account people often ask me how does your wife manage to write such clever books and i always reply don't know never could tell astonishing woman shuts herself up in her own room like a silkworm and spins a regular cocoon that's what i say you know yet nobody ever seems to believe me and lots of fellows swear you must get a man to help you it is part of man's conceit to imagine his assistance always necessary said alicia coldly smiling considering how loudly men talk of their own extraordinary abilities it is really astonishing how little they manage to do good-bye i'm going upstairs to spin cocoons he stopped her as she moved to leave the room i say alicia it's awfully sweet of you to hand over that four thousand she gave a little gesture of offense why speak of it will you know that half of every sum i earn is placed to your account it has been my rule ever since our marriage and there is really no need to allude to what is now a mere custom of business he still held her arm yes that's all very well but look here delicia you're not angry with me for anything are you she raised her head and looked straightly at him no will not angry something in her eyes intimidated him he checked himself abruptly afraid to ask her anything more oh that's all right he stammered heartily i'm glad you're not angry i thought you seemed a little put out but it's jolly that i'm mistaken you know Ta Ta. have a good morning's grind and as she went he drew out a cigar from his silver case with rather shaking fingers and pretended to be absorbed in lighting it when it was finally lit and he looked up she was gone with a sigh he flung himself into an armchair and puffed away at his choice Havana in a sore and miserable confusion of mind no human being perhaps is quite so sore and miserable as a man who is born with the instincts of a gentleman and yet conducts himself like a cad there are many such tramps of a decayed and dying gentility amongst us men with vague glimmerings of the ancient chivalry of their race lying dormant within them who yet lack the force of will necessary to plan their lives resolutely out upon those old-fashioned but grand foundations known as truth and loyalty because it is the thing to talk slang they populate the noble english language with coarse expressions copied from stable conversation and because it is considered swagger to make love to other men's wives they enter into this base form of vulgar intrigue almost as if it were a necessary point of dignity and an added grace to manhood if we admit that men are the superior and stronger sex what a pitiable thing it is to note how little their moral forces assist in the elevation of woman their tendency being to drag her down as low as possible if she be unwedded man does his best to compromise her if he has married her he frequently neglects her if she be another's wife he frequently tries to injure her reputation this is modern morality exhibited to us in countless varying phases every day detailed every morning and evening in our newspapers witnessed over and over again through every season's festivities and this combined with atheism and an utter indifference as to the results of evil is making of upper-class england something worse than pagan rome was just before its fall the safety of the country is with what we elect to call the lower classes who are educating themselves slowly but none the less surely and who it must be remembered are not yet free from savagery the splendid root savagery which breaks out in all great nations when aristocratic uncleanness and avarice have gone too far a savagery which threw itself panting and furious upon the treacherous marie antoinette of france with her beauty her wicked wantonness her thoughtless extravagance and luxury and her cruel contempt for the poor and never loosened its fangs till it had dragged her haughty head to the level of the scaffold there to receive the just punishment of selfishness and pride for punishment must fall sooner or later on every wilful misuser of life's opportunities though had any one told lord Carleon this by way of warning he would have bidden him in the choicest of swagger terms to go and be a rotten preacher and in saying so he would have considered himself witty yet he knew well enough that his little affair with la marina was nothing but a deliberate dishonour done to his blameless wife and he was careful to avoid thinking as to where the money came from as he flung it about at cards or in restaurants or on racecourses and after all he considered now as he smoked a cigar leisurely and allowed his mind to dwell comfortably on the reflection of that four thousand pounds placed to his account she likes her work she couldn't get on without it and there's nothing so much in her handing me over half the dibs as she's got all the fame and through some curious process of man's logic he managed to argue himself into a perfect state of satisfaction with the comfortable way the world was arranged for him through his wife's unremitting toil poor little soul he murmured placidly glancing at his handsome face in an opposite mirror she loves me awfully this morning she half pretends she doesn't but she would give every drop of blood in her body to save me from a pinprick prick of trouble and why shouldn't she women must have something to love she's perfectly happy in her way and so am i in mine with which consoling conclusion he ended his meditations and went out for the day as usual on returning home to dinner however he was considerably put out to find a note waiting for him in the hall a note from his wife running thus shall not return to dinner am going to the empire with the cavendishes do not wait up for me well i call that pretty cool he muttered angrily pun my word i call that infernally cool he marched about the hall fuming and fretting for a moment or two then he called his valet robson i shan't want dinner served he said snappishly i'm going out very good my lord did her ladyship leave any message none my lord she merely said she was going to dine with mr and mrs cavendish and would probably not be back till late he frowned like a spoiled child well i shan't be back till later either if at all he said fretfully just come and get me into my dress suit will you robeson followed him upstairs obediently and bore with his caprices which were many during the business of attiring him for the evening he was in an exceedingly bad humour gave vent to what the children call a bad swear more than once finally he got into a hansom and was driven off at a rattling pace the respectable robeson watching his departure from the open hall door you're a nice one remarked that worthy parsonage as the vehicle containing his master turned a sharp corner and disappeared up to no end of pranks as bad and worse than if you was the regular son of a king yes taking you on and off one would almost give you credit for being a real prince you've got so little conscience but my lady's one too many for you i fancy she's quiet but she's clever and i don't believe she'll keep her eyes shut much longer she can't if you are going on continual in the way you are thus robeson soliloquized shutting the street door with a bang to emphasize the close of his half-audible observations then he went up into delicia's study to give spartan some dinner spartan received the plateful brought to him with majestic indifference and an air which implied that he would attend to it presently he had a little white glove of delicia's between his paws and manifested no immediate desire to disturb himself he had his own canine ideas of love and fidelity and though he was only a dog It may be he had a higher conception of honor and truth than is attained by men who, in the excess of self-indulgence, take all the benefits of love and good fortune as their rights and are destitute of even the saving grace of gratitude. Chapter 5.